Hello, and welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, Jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Mixtape Majesty, here today with a very special guest. Comedian, musician, showrunner, and wholesome TikTok darling, Please welcome Corey Berenger to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to the show, Corey. So happy to have you here. Before we talk about the movie that you've selected, I'm going to ask some background questions of you. Sounds great. I am prepared. Perfect. It's almost like someone gave you the questions. (laughs) (laughs) So starting with, what was the first movie you remember seeing in theaters? I want to say that that was Toy Story. I'm, I'm pretty sure because I seem to have the memory of my family going to see it multiple times in the theater because I remember that being one of the first sort of clear indications from my parents that there was an interest in movies, like that the movies were more than just, you know, something you did, like that the movies can be an important event to go to. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that anything that read as media for children was also appealing to them mm-hmm. to the extent that they would go pay multiple times to go see something yeah so that really resonated I think it, it just had that effect of like oh this is, this is actually a, a little bit different you know because they always enjoyed like watching cartoons with us at home but before then I don't think they would have taken us to a kid's movie that just wasn't something that we did yeah that's so cool I remember I see, I forgot that Pixar did that to movies because, yeah, it used to kind of be that most cartoons, it felt like there was there's a lot of movies that were really wholly directed to kids that really weren't very fun for parents to see. And then Pixar just changed the game. Uh, Absolutely. And it it wasn't even just with like adult tones, I don't think. I, I think for a lot of parents probably, and this is this is just making an assumption, obviously, because I wasn't there in an adult way, <laughs> but I think that a lot of that probably had to do with the newness of the technology, mm-hmm. that it was an event just to see something that didn't look like a Don Bluth movie, yeah. you know, as far as what their perception of a kid's movie would be. I mean, I'm sure they enjoyed all those that they saw. I mean, we probably wore out our VHS of Land Before Time. <laughs> My parents liked it just fine. Mm-hmm. But this was just something so wholly new, you know, with the, the computer graphics. Yeah. And now looking back at it, it's, it's so, you know, by comparison, rudimentary. Yeah. And it's silly to watch the first Toy Story and remember how blown away we were. Yeah. Like absolutely floored by the technology. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's just kind of kind of silly. Yeah, now we like expect it, which it kind of bothers me nowadays that like every movie has to be 3D. I really wish there would be yeah. some additional traditional animation too. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, was that like the biggest emotional sort of takeaway that you took from from that experience? Yeah, probably. I mean, apart from just really loving the movie, of course, I think like a lot of kids, your taste is really crafted by the grownups. Or at least it was for me. And I'm sure that is for a lot of kids, but it definitely was for me. So that was, that was my biggest takeaway was just seeing that my parents liked it and feeling that connection, I suppose, that it, because prior to that, it'd be like, if if I saw that they really enjoyed something, I would still be drawn to it, but I would recognize it as grown up media, you Mm -hmm. know, and I might get some of it, but it would be something more to aspire to. There was a lot of movies like that. I remember growing up where, you know, I would, watch it down the hallway when I was supposed to be in bed but I knew that they were watching something grown up so I Mm -hmm. wanted to see that and knew that I wasn't understanding every reference but with Toy Story it was something that I recognized my parents enjoyed and I got a hundred percent you know there there wasn't any learning curve with it that I knew I was gonna get more later I just I got it all then nice so Toy Story I think that was like 1995 that's when you started seeing movies as something that could be a community experience as yeah. opposed to these individually yeah. appreciated And it was things. just such a special outing because my family did not go to the movies very often. We were very much a, you know, rental house. Mm. You know, we were constantly going to our, our local rental spot before Blockbuster was, it was in our town. We had a, it's called Video Time <laughs> and we were there every single weekend. Yeah, going to a movie was an event. That was not something that was a, a regular 
happening for my family. Gotcha. Was it the kind of thing where you would request it for like special occasions? Like, oh, for my birthday, can we no, go to the theater? No, I don't think we ever really did because we really weren't in the position as kids to make requests <laughs> so that I don't think we would have thought of it as an option for mm-hmm. like a birthday or something. We wouldn't have even thought about doing that. <laughs> and that's kind of also what made going to the movie so special is because it was always something we never expected to happen. It was always a completely spontaneous thing of my parents saying, hey, we're going to go see a movie tonight. Just what? Why we get to see a movie? Oh my God. You know, <laughs> it was always a, a huge deal for us. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. But what was the first movie you remember seeing in theaters without your parents or any supervising adults? I'm pretty sure that the movie was Smoking Aces. Oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. Which you would have no reason to remember. It was a pretty, (laughs) well, I actually, I remember enjoying it. I only saw it the one time. It was like my freshman year in high school. I went with my friends to the mall theater. I I grew up in Lincoln. So it was also the first and so far only time I rode on a city bus (laughs) and went to see a movie. And I felt like such a teenager. (laughs) Like that was (laughs) like my first sort of taste of independence and not being like dropped off by a parent you know to go do a thing you know that this was very much like our own decision to go and it was yeah I, I remember being really excited about it and the movie I, I don't remember much about it I think it had to do with assassins it was like a shoot them up kind of action flick um, yeah. with a lot of comedy in it it was pretty lighthearted, if I remember correctly I'd probably enjoy it if I saw it again, I, but it's it's not a priority. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I Googled it and it looks looks pretty goofy. It's about a, yeah. a Las, Las Vegas magician and wannabe gangster. <laughs> that's See, I don't even remember the magician angle <laughs> in the movie, but that's fantastic that there was magic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sounds like a fun time. Cool. Uh, so other than the movie that you've selected for us to talk about today as our feature film, Tell me one of your favorite movies of all time and why. Yeah. So normally my go-to answer is Funny Girl, but I've talked to death about Funny Girl. So I'll go with my other instinctual favorite movie. And I think that that would be Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. I love that movie so much. Um, I haven't seen it in multiple years. I don't know how long it's been since I've seen it. And at this point, I'm actually... a little hesitant to see it because I feel like it'll resonate too much uh, because the, the the meat of that movie, if, if you haven't seen it, is um, Kirk's fear and like looming fear, like in creeping fear of getting older and becoming irrelevant. Mm. It really hits home when you're young, even like it's it, it's a it's a pretty powerful sentiment. And I worry now that if I see it, I'll just cry <laughs> because I'll relate too much to, to Captain Kirk. But it does have a pretty solid ending of hope, I, I feel. like there, there is a lot of hope in the movie. But yeah, it's, it's also just a fantastic movie. It's exciting. It's funny. It is a very funny movie, which I think a lot of people forget about Wrath of Khan. I think especially because after that, it moves on to some even kind of goofier stuff in the franchise of the Star Trek movies. Mm. like uh, Voyage Home that that one's pretty goofy but I feel like Rathacon has a lot of like really clever jokes in it which are just dialogue jokes they aren't setting jokes like in Voyage Home where they go back in time to like 80s (laughs) San Francisco and a lot of Mm -hmm. that humor is just based on like fish out of water type jokes but Rathacon is is more of just really witty banter between old friends and I'm a sucker for that. Like, I, I will watch a whole movie of old friends <laughs> just riffing. Oh, so did you watch the original series then? A lot of it? Yeah, I haven't seen like every episode. I, I will not claim to be a really thorough Trekkie. What I've probably seen the most of would be Voyager and Next Generation. Mm. I'm a big Voyager fan mostly. But yeah, I've just kind of always loved Star Trek. I was raised around it. Again, I mean, it was a media that I recognized as grown up, so I aspired to it <laughs> and yeah. I couldn't wait till I understood it. Uh, but prior <laughs> to that, it was just very comforting. Yeah, I was the same way with uh, Voyager, I think. Well, we watched Next Gen too, but yeah, I didn't see the old series, the original series until I was an adult. 
so I didn't have any connection it's probably to it. the same for me like I think mm. maybe the first time I watched a full episode of the original series I was probably like 19 or 20 yeah because it wasn't in syndication around anything that we had available to us we only just had yeah you know local channels and and my parents weren't that into it that they would go out of their way to get VHS compilations or anything because at mm. that time you know when I was growing up if it wasn't on one of the stations you had, you would need to get a home video of it. Right. A, a tape of like five episodes or something. And we didn't really have anything like that. They, they didn't care that much about Star Trek. Yeah. But my parents were like fairly into what we now would call like nerd culture type media. You know, they, mm. they really enjoyed Star Wars and, and stuff like that, but they weren't at the level of fandom that they would go to cons or anything like that. They, they were not those people. <laughs> Gotcha. Overall, how would you describe your relationship with movies? I'm, I'm a big movie guy. I, I feel like I've chilled out about it quite a lot in like the last five years, especially. Did you used to be a film bro? I kind of was. And it's, <laughs> it's pretty cringy to see some of, you know, Facebook will remind you of how insufferable you were, of course. <laughs> yeah. if, if I go back like 10 years, so many of the posts were just like, sure wish I had someone to watch the Marx Brothers with tonight like it's just <laughs> it's stupid shit like that yeah but yeah I'd, I'd say from like middle school to about my mid-20s I would probably consider myself like a film buff like I, I, I appreciate film and like you know enjoyed reading books about film and like you know beyond just enjoying a movie I wanted to know more about it like I'm a production dork and I, I still am but I'll tell you what really helped is marrying someone who doesn't give a shit about any of that. <laughs> like, you know, my, my wife, Jacqueline, like, enjoys a good movie. Absolutely. But also will be the first to say that she doesn't really have the attention span, uh, typically on, on a night, you know, where we worked all day and we come home. Her idea of relaxing is not, you know, sitting down and, and watching Fellini. Yeah, (laughs) like that's not gonna happen and I kind of quickly realized that that was going to be a shift in my diet of media basically like whereas before like I would watch a lot of movies just in general like that was just what I I would do but I would rather spend time with her enjoying something with her you know yeah um so I'm not gonna make her sit through something that she's just not on board with that'd be terrible and it it made me see how annoying that kind of personality can be sometimes. I'd like to think that by the time her and I met, I had already started to chill out a little bit about all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was still some of that there, of course. And now I just, I don't know, I approach film like I think I would any other art, which is just, I can enjoy it on a surface level. And if it moves me, it moves me. And that's wonderful. But I don't need it to move me. Like I think I used to. Yeah, that makes sense. I would say that I was a film bro for about the same period of time. Maybe not middle school, but high school to my mid-20s. Actually, to when I started this podcast. This Mm. podcast is part of why I got away from that. Because I realized (laughs) like very quickly that I couldn't. I couldn't interview people and then just shit on what they were saying. (laughs) I was like, oh, I have to be positive because no one wants to listen to that. And I'm so glad you mentioned that as an aspect of it because... To me, some of the cringiest posts that I will see, you know, in in Facebook memories aren't even just those, the breed of posts like I had just described, but Mm -hmm. also the ones where I just had to shit on a movie. Like, why why did I need to do that? And the same thing with bands. I would do the same thing, you know, with albums and just any kind of art, really. And I just feel like, what's that bringing into the world? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what purpose is that serving? And also... What if, and this is, you know, I, I recognize that this is like a who cares kind of what if scenario, but what if someone who would have really loved that movie that I just shit on in a post, read the post and then didn't see the movie? Mm-hmm. Did I just rob them of an opportunity? Like, just because it didn't speak to me, what if it spoke to them? Like, mm-hmm. and those things do have an effect, whether or not we want to take what, you know, the people in our sphere, you know, has to say about something, it's in there. Like, if I were to see any one of my friends talk about a movie and say that they just hated it, that sets me up for an expectation. 
Mm. And even if that expectation is like, oh, well, I want to like it, so I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to like try to find <laughs> something else about it that I really like. That's still a preconceived notion that mm. I feel like is unfair to the movie and to the person watching the movie. I feel like for the most part, you know, apart from seeing the trailer, you should just go into a movie, again, just like any other art. You should just take it for what it is to you. You shouldn't go in having read a bunch of, you know, reviews about it. That's just my two cents, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it gives it a better shot. Yeah, I think there's two mindsets that are pretty common for early 20s. And one is what we just described, which is kind of like shitting on uh, shitting on anything we don't like and just being like really (laughs) loud and kind of making what you like and dislike is your personality. Yes. And then the second part of it is that we see disagreement as a threat. If you, if, you know, if someone hates a movie that I like, then like we're fighting (laughs) somehow, even though people can just like different things. (laughs) That's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So I think that's a, Fortunately, it sounds like both of us grew out of that. And I now look at that as like a sort of a litmus test. It's sort of a red flag. If I see someone like someone I know online and they're like 32 or whatever, and they're just still talking like that. I'm like, yeah, move on, my friend. It doesn't mean you stop hating things. No. (laughs) It just means that you stop feeling the need to express that. Yeah. I feel like it makes more sense if I saw a piece of media that was, well, give you an example probably a couple years ago we thought we'd give a shot to the shrek musical <laughs> movie that on i think they put it on netflix or something and it nice. was a film production of of the stage production Whoa. and i thought it'd just be a fun romp just a goofy little little movie and then like in the opening number i believe they just have like a just a blatant transphobic joke like just oh. a really gross bad joke damn and i made a post about that you know, like I didn't just say, oh, this is a stupid piece of shit movie. Don't, don't see it. Yeah. For me, my takeaway was just like, wow, didn't see that coming. Like, I don't like that. You know, that feels a little different than just saying, I didn't like this. You shouldn't see it. You know, totally. I have an actual point of view with it that is worth sharing. I think, <laughs> I think that's worth sharing. Yeah. And like that also sort of serves as like, you know, a content warning for maybe anyone else in my feed that that would see that post and also wouldn't be aware of that. And maybe that'll affect them a little deeper. Maybe it will hurt them more. I would like them to be aware of that before they go into that movie, you know? Um, So that's a little bit different, but yeah, I just don't see what's, what am I accomplishing by saying, you know, I didn't like this movie or that album. Right. Who cares? Tell me about something you love. Like, those are the posts I want to see. Yeah. I want to see the post about this This album changed my life. Mm-hmm. I know that you probably won't listen to it, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway. Like, those are my favorite posts. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. I think for sharing, you know, hate, being a hater publicly, I think there's two ways that it can be okay. And one is exactly what you just said. If you're basically raising awareness for something or you're preventing harm somehow by telling people like oh this has you know racism whatever in it and then the other time i think i think it's okay to share your hate if you're funny <laughs> if you're yes, funny about it that does make a difference you're right? not just like fuck this but you like have yeah, a joke yeah you gotta have a joke with it yeah <laughs> if you're gonna try that i don't know but yeah. we all think we're funny right <laughs> true this is the space where the ads go. Hey, I'm Dash. And I'm Rosa. Have you ever wanted to listen to a podcast where two ding-dongs sift through the piles of trash that is on the website facebook.com in their psychic advice section to find you gold for your ears? Oh, God, I don't know if we've ever ever did our podcast like that. All right, let's try it again. Listen to Psychic Friends wherever you find podcasts. Oh, you're just going for the end. No, that was a joke. I think we should restart. Hey, I'm Dash. And I'm Rosa. And we host a podcast called Psychic Friends with a Z. It's not called with a Z. It's just spelled with it's a Z. Spelled with a, it's spelled with a Z. Hey, I'm Dash. And I'm Rosa. And we host a show called Psychic Friends. And that's spelled with a Z at the end of it. And with a, Rosa, wouldn't you tell them what the show is? Yeah, every week we go on Psychic Advice Facebook, something you probably didn't even know existed. 
and go through and try to answer people's psychic advice questions. We do some of this with loving advice, some of this with hating advice, and there's a lot of laughs and weird segments along the way. Hating advice? <laughs> All right, well, yeah. Listen to Psychic Friends' new episodes Thursdays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, wherever podcasts are found. Stick the landing with a good joke, Rosa. <laughs> no. You can't make me tell a joke on command. <laughs> That's so bad. I'm here to get drunk. Mm-hmm. Right. I have about half a cup of vodka. Drink, drink, drink. Wait, are we live? Hi, I'm Jessica. One professional skill that I would really like to learn is stripping. I'm Sonia. Because, like, I'm okay with not being artistic. Like, I'm just like, that's cool. And I'm Don Marie. And we are Opinionated Lushes. I'll, I'll, make, a, I'll make a tomato oh. vodka soup. Ooh. Also known as, like, a Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> Once a week, we get together to drink and talk shit. We start our episodes off with a question and a drink word. We usually never stay on topic or wait for the drink word to start drinking. There's a new episode of Opinionated Lushes every Friday on all streaming platforms. Just testing mattresses. Why isn't that a job? (laughs) It it probably is. An unedited episode Saturday on YouTube. Just want to tell people you love them? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes you need it. It dangerous. Have a cocktail suggestion? A topic of interest? A good drinking word? Feel free to DM us on Instagram or email us at opinionatedlushes at gmail.com. If I don't know you, I will. <laughs> so go ahead, grab a drink, any kind of drink, and get ready to laugh with us and share our drunken opinions. The future. The future is incredible, and we are living it right now. We are living in a world where Darth Vader can Kamehameha the Jonesy cat off of my back. The future, technology, it's amazing. I, for one, love it. And you know what's a new piece of technology I just heard about? It's called Newsly. It's an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up most trending articles on the web on topics that you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. The entire web becomes listenable for the first time, all in one place, Newsly. You can browse articles from topics you choose. Stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like, from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, or even the Kardashian. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. Oh, it's just like daddy technology reading you a bedtime story. Love it. And they have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries. Our podcast, Bring Your Own Popcorn, is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me. That's newsly.me or from the link in the description and use promo code OWNPOPCORN to receive one month free premium subscription. The future is now and it's beautiful. Woo! Okay, you ready to jump into the featured film? I am. The featured film we are discussing today Chosen by Corey is a 2004 American comedy film produced by Jeremy Kuhn, Chris Wyatt, and Sean Koval, written by Jared and Jerosha Hess, and directed by Jared Hess. The film was Hess's first full-length movie and is partially adapted from his earlier short film, Palooka, a nine-minute film that John Hader and Jared Hess created while at university. Most of the situation in the movie are loosely based on the life of Jared Hess. The film's total worldwide gross revenue was $46 million at a budget of only $400,000. So they really turned a profit there. The film has developed a cult following and was voted at number 14 on Bravo's 100 Funniest Movies. It was shot in Idaho over just 23 days of sweltering July heat. The film we are discussing today is Napoleon Dynamite. Corey, tell me, in your opinion, what are the most important things that happen in this movie? Ooh, the most important things. Oh, that's that's tough. Because 
every scene has something that is like a cultural touchstone for my generation, I think. And I don't think that's too much of an overstatement. Like some, some people in my generation may disagree, but I think most of us would agree that there's something in just about every scene. But so the, the overview would be like basically a slice of life feature of our title character. Well, actually, I, I think one of the notes I wrote here was, it kind of sums it up. The first line that he says in the movie, I realized this most recent time watching it, he kind of gives his mission statement <laughs> for the entire movie. And that's, you know, Napoleon is asked on the bus in the very first scene, what are you going to do today, Napoleon? And Napoleon says, whatever I feel like, gosh. <laughs> and then he proceeds to demonstrate that mission statement by untying the little, uh, you know, action figure and tossing it out the window, just doing what he wants. And that is the movie, in, in, in a sense, is, is that it's a, a young man just doing what he wants. And then the world around him, because of his, his surroundings, his, his class as well, like just, you know, where, where he's at, you know, in society. And, and I know that sounds, you know, kind of highfalutin, but all of those things are the adversary to his goal, which is to do whatever he wants. Gosh, and, and the world won't get off his back. Like he just wants to draw ligers and he, he wants to learn to dance, you know, just all these things. And it's, it's about his surroundings attempting to stop that and ultimately failing <laughs> to, to stop him because he does do what he wants. <laughs> if that was grammatically correct, which it might not have been, but I don't care. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Perfect. That is a that is a great summary for a movie that is really hard to it, it, that is otherwise really hard to encapsulate what what the story is like. Yeah, because it kind of has two stories. Like you think that the movie's wrapping up at the I don't know if it's like the homecoming dance, but it's it's the dance basically that they have, and that feels like a conclusion. And then nope, Pedro sees the sign for student body president, and now we have basically part two Napoleon Dynamite like it just starts a new movie at that point yeah even with that aside another note that I wrote was that for the most part just about every scene works without context from the rest of the movie Mm. like if you were to take just about any of those scenes they can be their own absurd short film or sketch yeah they work just as and I think that that's the hallmark of really any good like well cult film um you know that's what makes it so quotable that's what makes it so memorable is because there's these little little slices of the movie that you can just have by themselves yeah I'm sure you knew this but I had only seen this movie once before and I have always thought of the post credits scene thing being a very marvel thing did you do you know that there's a post credit scene on Napoleon Dynamite yeah yeah um I didn't watch it this time around Oh, like, I don't remember exactly what it is, but isn't it like, or it's something with the grandma? Uh, LaFonda and Kit getting married. That's what it is. It's the marriage scene. Yes. (laughs) I forgot about that. Yes. And I I remember like the trivia with that was they filmed that like way after they wrapped filming as well. Like, so that was kind of also like a reunion for the cast was doing that. Oh, wow. I completely forgot about it until you just brought that up. <laughs> now tell me, because I don't remember, she marries a man. LaFonda marries Kit. Oh, it's his, them. his okay, cousin yes. or brother or whatever. It's not the grandma that gets married. It's the yeah. marriage. Okay, gotcha. Because that was going to come around to another thought I had this time around, which is that in, in my reading of it, the grandma is, is clearly a butch lesbian, but Rico <laughs> doesn't know. Ah. Uh. Because he hints at it at first in his first like dialogue scene when he shows up and he has that ominous line like, there's a lot about your grandma you don't know. Mm. And I feel like we were like at that point, we're on the same page with Rico. We're like, oh, that's where they're going with this because the previous scene we had seen, uh, you know, the grandma in the desert with a bunch of other clearly butch lesbians <laughs> but then he mentions your grandma's out there with her boyfriend and he doesn't say it like it's a lie he says it like it's something that he believes yeah so I, I think that Rico isn't aware that his mom is a lesbian <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think that that tracks she's she's a badass grandma is yeah. but going back to LaFonda oh my god like this <laughs> I had so much more of an appreciation for that character 
this time around than just about any other time I've seen the movie, I think, because I'd always thought that it was a really funny, you know, striking visual joke, basically, of just the the contrast between the two characters and falling in love. Like that's it was sweet and and cute and funny on its own. But this time around, it really hit home like how important she is as a character to initiate everything else that happens mm. in the movie <laughs> that like eventually leads to the resolution for, for everyone. And, you know, she's the one that delivers Napoleon the tape <laughs> of, of her cousin oh, yeah. or, or whatever, who has you know the, the song that he dances to later. And, and of course, she's also what brings Kip out of his whatever Kip's deal is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. gets him to leave his hometown. Like just, she's an angel. LaFonda is an angel. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Their relationship was very, it was very cute. That was a very cute arc. I was just so surprised by that post credit scene because I really thought that Marvel like invented that. I, I forgot. I know I talked about it with Ruben Escobedo. I don't know if you know him, but we just talked about how we think of the post credit scene thing as being a Marvel thing, but actually quite a few movies were doing it before, like Austin Powers and oh, yeah. some other comedies. And, and then this one, Napoleon Dynamite also has a post credit scene. <laughs> I think the first time I ever saw one or at least noticed one as something kind of special was uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. That's that's the first time I noticed it because it was also pointed out to be by my parents. Of like, well, you got to wait till the credits <laughs> are over and then you're going to get something else. You know? <laughs> yeah. And now it's at the point where I feel like it's just so, yes, overdone, but I know it also serves a purpose for like, you know, when you're connecting all these movies together and everything. But now it's at the point where it's just become a joke that I run into the ground anytime we're at a movie theater and the credits roll, regardless of the movie, I have to say like, well, let's, let's hang out in case there's a teaser for the, the sequel. <laughs> like, gotta, maybe there's, a, it doesn't matter if it's just the heaviest period piece. Yeah. <laughs> heaviest period piece. We'll move on. I have one of those every month. Anyway, <laughs> tell us about the first time you watched this movie. Where were you? How old were you? What was your response then versus now? Pretty vivid memory of that. I want to say I was in the seventh grade. And I know that because I saw it at my best friend's house. Like as soon as it came out on DVD, didn't see it in the theater. But like most kids, just blown away by the trailer. The trailer alone was being quoted at my school (laughs) before any of us had seen the movie. It was just this bombshell to us <laughs> culturally you know before we had any kind of vocabulary for that like that's what it was to us it just changed like absolutely everything for our sensibilities it was a big deal when my friend got the movie and I watched it with his family and just so many laughs every single scene like there was no lull I, I remember feeling that of, of not having had that experience before with a movie with a group of people mm. I'd, I'd seen movies you know before that 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 I thought were hilarious and that you know I laughed through the whole thing but I didn't have that sense of community through a movie with people outside of my family prior to that mm. yeah right out the gate that movie felt unique and like a turning point and mm. I, I recognize how heavy that sounds but it really was that yeah from the the opening sequence i had never seen a credit sequence like that that used things you know for for the the titles and just using that white stripe song like everything felt special about it it, it felt like something we were going to be talking about for a very long time did you know that the the introductory credit scene they added it on later yeah, yeah. After after it did really well at festivals, and then it got picked up by MTV, I think. Because yeah, I, MTV I, I and think some MTV other like studios. Yeah, handled like the distribution for it, and then they got more money <laughs> to to you know rework that. Well, it was it was because the studios told them to, because they were like the studios oh, yeah. said to them, people aren't going to know what time period this is supposed to be because you're wearing, they're wearing like eighties clothing and have eighties technology, but it is 2004. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. There's very subtle tells of the time frame that's within that as well. Um, like when Napoleon's at the thrift store and he's going through the, the shelves, there's 
a section that's VHS slash DVD. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, that right there, we know it's got to be like early 2000s at least, you know, mm-hmm. smart move on their part, really, because even even if that wasn't the reasoning, it just it sets such a tone of of sensibility and atmosphere. I mean, the song itself is so descriptive of, of what you're about to see. It's it's friendship blossoming. It's, you know, I, I know we shy away from this word, but it's quirky. Um, I know that's become kind of a bad word, but it is quirky and that's okay. It's okay that it's quirky and it's, it's okay that it leans into clumsy realism, like near the end of the credit sequence, when it's got the writer's titles for Jared and Jerusha and it's on the pencils and the hands are moving the pencils to get to that. And it doesn't land perfectly. So there's Mm. a little bit of like rolling it into the right spot. That is such a specific sensibility that I don't feel like we really had much of before this. Yeah. I'm sure there was plenty of indie flicks that did that kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, yes, there was Wes Anderson stuff before this. It kind of falls into that. But this was the first thing I feel that that handled that sensibility directly towards my generation. Like, mm-hmm. it was for my age group. I, I felt anyway. Like, mm-hmm. at that time, it was, it was you know, perfectly made for the ages between 11 to 16. I'd, I'd say that that was really the, the sweet spot. And obviously people older than that loved it and younger than that loved it, but it tapped into exactly what we needed humor to be, you know, mm-hmm. and awkwardness, like playing with awkwardness, not treating a character who's a nerd as needing a redeeming coolness mm-hmm. or like how the 80s handled it, a inherent pervertedness, like a perversion to to the nerdiness. Like, and that also made them cool. You know, I'm, I'm thinking like Revenge of the Nerds and mm-hmm. Weird Science. We didn't need to see them as something that we would compare to assholes in movies. Because <laughs> I feel like something like Weird Science and Revenge of the Nerds, it almost seems like the moral was like, hey, the nerds aren't so different than us. They just, you know, but like Napoleon is different from you. He's pure. He's, he's not, he's not wrapped up in how horny he is. There is no sense of Napoleon Dynamite's horniness. He has a crush (laughs) and that's apparent, but there's nothing, um, you know, unsavory about that. He's just awkward. And I feel like before this, we really didn't have much awkward representation. (laughs) Yeah, that that is such a good point. And I'm so glad you pointed that, pointed that out because I don't think I picked up on that. But yeah, this is actually a revolutionary depiction of a teen boy. It's It might be the only movie <laughs> with a teen boy where it doesn't revolve around the teen boy wanting to have sex or trying to have sex. Like, or even wanting a kiss. Like, yeah. He doesn't even go that far. Yeah. He just wants to be around Deb. Yeah. That's it. You know? Which I honestly feel that's more closer to my experience of what high school was. Every, mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone was horny, but it wasn't like the focal point of anyone's life that I knew. Like, no, we were yeah. just all awkward and weird. Yes. And it, it does nail it for that because it's also it does peer into his expectations of wanting to be a, a boyfriend to a girl because when he's talking about uh you know my woman I'm taking to the dance <laughs> and that, that great line when Pedro asks who he's talking to yeah like that's the closest you get to that clumsiness of of wanting to have a girlfriend but not knowing what that even entails you know he doesn't yeah. have any sense of experience around that beyond like well I'm supposed to be with a girl so I'm gonna have a girlfriend and that's just what's gonna happen yeah you know much in the same way that you know he falls into a friendship with Pedro it's it's based out of time and place and the note I wrote was friends by default because he's so awkward he's not going to really put himself into social situations where he's gonna organically make a friend he's going to wait until a moment presents itself like the hallway scene where Pedro's being given directions and isn't really getting it or and by the way let's put a pin in that because it's (laughs) I I feel like the way that this movie deals with racism and I know that that's such a heavy statement here because it's not really what the movie's about but it does have a few really 
poignant lines from characters that are racist <laughs> and it the, the way it handles it like there is no question of the the morality of the character saying it like we know that they are wrong mm. for having that take like yeah. there is there's no gray area there like when the principal is you know talking about like you know in, in that first scene you do speak English right you know and he has that tone and mm. um it's not that complicated like just right out the gate for, for him like that's harsh and then later in the movie you know when is it Trish no it's not Trish it's it's the uh the Haley Duff character <laughs> when she's doing her her speech and she says and I don't know about you but I'm I'm sure you don't want chimney changas next year um, oh yeah and it's just like oh gotcha like loud and clear and we know that she's the villain for saying that and mm-hmm. I really love that that's how it's played it doesn't give the audience any choice mm-hmm. <laughs> in other words like you know what what that perspective is going back to what I put a pin in um in that scene where Napoleon you know meets Pedro that's friendship by default and that was something that I really related to because before I met the best friend that I would eventually watch Napoleon Dynamite with my family bounced around to a bunch of different places so I was in uh, a few different schools from the fourth grade to the sixth grade. And I had a really hard time making friends. And I really only had friends by default where, you know, I would be alone on the playground and there's another kid who's alone on the playground. (laughs) We didn't necessarily have anything in common. We weren't necessarily good buds. We wouldn't have taken that friendship outside of school at all, but you need someone to be alone with. And there would even be similar conversations to what napoleon says in the movie where he's like so i guess we're pretty much friends now (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's so real that is so very real because you it's scary being in school it's it's a very scary place if you're alone Mm -hmm. because you constantly feel like you're being watched and and being examined for not having friends (laughs) so yeah that really resonated with me just the friendship between him and pedro and they're also so wildly different as people and in cultures i don't know i just think it's a beautiful thing it is yeah this is a great depiction of male on male friendship which we need more of in all of our media yes and you say that they're so different but i feel like they're they're very similar in the same way that deb is kind of similar to them which is that they all talk they none of them talk like they're in a movie they just Mm -hmm. like their lines are not weighted there Mm -hmm. there's no like there's not really snappy one snappy one-liners like there's all these quotable quotes but they're not like I don't know they're not like quirky like oh a team of writers came up with this they're just yeah. it's just like how these people talk which I think they're is really very, interesting they're very filtered lines in the sense that they have no fat on them mm-hmm. there's really no fat in the movie at all <laughs> like they're any like establishing shot you know, just as far as like filming of it, like it serves its purpose to let you know exactly what you're about to see. And and as far as the script, there's nothing in there that is just for a joke or just for a setup. Like everything is so distilled to the exact purpose that that scene needs to accomplish. Like everything is just there to get you to the next spot, you know? And I think that especially with the first Pedro scenes where they go from, you know, inside the school and then immediately cut to you know the the bike and then from seeing the bike and you know Napoleon's jealous like oh jealous like and then they go right to the ramp like there is no fat in that sequence at all (laughs) like it's just it's it's setting up a friendship like yeah so efficiently and I think the whole movie is like that absolutely how would you say that your response has changed if it has from the first time you saw it up till your most recent watching I think it's probably just gotten snootier if I'm being completely <laughs> honest with myself like everything we talked about at the top of the show <laughs> all the the film broiness I can't help but see it through a lens of social impact and cultural impact and how it it shaped my sense of humor and and my peers like it's I didn't have the vocabulary for that 
you know, as a kid. So I, I wouldn't have thought anything too close to that other than mm, this feels important. Like I did have that feeling, but obviously I wouldn't have really known that that was going to be the case until so many years later. I found myself laughing at maybe more subtleties than I would have as a kid. Like there's so many moments this, this time around that I was laughing out loud just at glances that occur in the movie. Like when, when Deb gives Pedro the, uh, the note saying that she'll go to the dance with him mm. and Pedro looks up at her and then does a little smile. Like it's just such a subtle move that tells you everything about his character, that he is safe, that he's cheeky, <laughs> that he's, he's fun. Like he's, he's just a sweet person mm-hmm. and you get to know that in just that shot. Yeah. And I, I love that. And there's a lot of moments like that with Kip and Rico as well, where it's just very subtle, specifically eye expressions. Like what they're doing with their eyes is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're so, so sharp. A lot of just the, the body language humor in that movie, I feel like this time around hit a lot harder than it did when I was 12. Yeah, it's amazing that they got this team of actors that were all on the same page when it comes to that, because not all actors can do that, but they somehow just found the group that can. I think you touched on this a bit already, but how would you say this movie has changed or affected your life? I feel like so much of my timing, as far as just a comedy approach, it's it's really had an effect on timing and just the, the superficial effects of the quotes that I still say, you know, <laughs> I don't say it as much, but there was a, a good chunk of my teen and early adult life that I would say quesadilla. <laughs> you know, it, I, just, I, just, I don't really do that now, but I definitely did. I probably also said chimichanga. I don't think I ever said like chimichanga. Mm. Um, that was a bridge too far. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that and me and Jack, when we're talking about like just the, the different things that entered the lexicon like after the movie, I think saying yus <laughs> instead oh, of, you yeah. know, like, yeah, just yes. <laughs> and she didn't feel the same way as far as her perspective of her high school and, and middle school experience. But I'm fairly certain that before this movie came out, I don't remember anyone at my school saying, you don't even know mm. as like, as a qualifier of how important or cool something was just like, Oh, this is the best game. You don't even know. Like, Oh, this is so cool. You don't even know. Mm-hmm. I feel like this. Oh, and also just your mom goes because you know, the, the classic line, your mom goes to college. <laughs> Maybe like the funniest, I'll say it's the funniest line in the movie that knows it's a funny line. If that makes sense. Like everything else that happens in the movie, that's, that's a very funny part is more funny just based around the whole atmosphere that's going on. But when the camera like just has that, that it just, it lingers just a little bit on Kip after he says your mom goes to college and he looks so proud of himself. <laughs> like they had to have known that that was such a funny line. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that this is such a dork who thinks he had such a, an incredible burn. Um <laughs> And yeah, I feel like after this movie, like there was there was such a flood of your mom jokes that were absurd mom jokes. Like they, yeah, that we we got that the joke was that it didn't make sense. Yes. And yes, this was also at the, the perfect beginning of you know random comedy, which yes, you, you know, cannibalized itself and, <laughs> yeah. and is is pretty unbearable for the most part now. Mm-hmm. but there's I don't know I feel like it's it's at the perfect level before it becomes purely random and it does have the seed of of something making sense like it, he almost makes sense with that joke you know like yeah. he almost has a point but it doesn't land so it, it falls into the land of absurdity instead uh, so that that got us just saying that everything was your your mom's a fireman your, your yeah. mom's a, a, a blank you know and that just became very funny to us <laughs> yes in the sixth or seventh grade <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah both of those things I forgot came from that movie because like I said I only saw it once but I but I have been doing the like yes thing and saying like if someone yes, just it's, you know you can't see on a podcast but it's specifically yeah. how he does this <laughs> like it's a pump but it doesn't go up. It just goes down and up and just so perfect. Such a perfect yeah. visual gag. I love it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, this has been a fabulous discussion as we're coming to an end here. Is there anything else you want to say about this movie to convince anyone who might still be on the fence to watch it? I just think it's a it's a pleasant experience of a movie. Like, and I think that in these times, now more than ever, <laughs> it's it's worth visiting a world that doesn't require you to to feel like a stress too much, like or or an anxiety of, of any real heavy statement. Like, yeah, there are moments in this that, that can be very uncomfortable. And I understand a lot of people don't care for uncomfortable comedy, you know, like The Office or something like that. And there's definitely elements of that to this. But overall, between the way it's shot, the way it's acted, and the way it sounds, meaning like the soundtrack, it makes for just such a pleasant experience. Like, I was so relaxed watching it today. And I think that's worth, worth it alone. Even if you don't find it particularly funny, it's just a nice experience. Yeah. I think the most stressful thing, actually, I can think of two things, but I was going to say the most stressful thing in this movie is that beginning part you talked about where the pencil rolls. <laughs> You're not sure if it's going to land up right. <laughs> to a very specific person. Yes, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> that literally did give me anxiety. <laughs> because My most anxious part was in the, the supermarket when, when Rico's embarrassing Napoleon for being poor. Oh, because awful I hate that scene so much and that one still like was hard to watch you know yeah uh, for, for me it was another Rico moment for me the actual most stressful part yeah. is when Rico is alone with Deb yeah yep. didn't yep. didn't like that I but hate, fortunately I hate that scene yeah but it's also such an important scene because it it shows how much of a buffoon of an antagonist he is yeah because yes it's very uncomfortable and he, he shouldn't have done that I mean we know that he, he shouldn't have you know, recommended the supplements to a child, <laughs> right. but you kind of also get this sense that he genuinely didn't see it that way. Yeah. Like he saw it as an opportunity to make some money. He didn't think he was making her uncomfortable and not that that validates it or, or makes it okay. Yeah. But there's something interesting about Rico as a villain in that he's not intentionally trying to hurt anyone. He's just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's it's is, a difference. Yeah, trying and failing, with the exception of throwing a stake at Napoleon's face. He did try to hurt Napoleon with that. No, yeah, I agree. It's it's the difference between a, a predator and an opportunist. He had yes. no predatory intentions no. towards Deb, but he did He's want money. Which is also <laughs> shitty. It's so Still shitty, shitty, but <laughs> you know? it is a different vibe. Yeah. But yeah, so... This has been a wonderful discussion. Yes, if has. people would like to hear more from you, Mr. Berenger, where should they look? Yeah, I'd say best spot might be on TikTok. I post fairly often on there when I have something goofy to say. Uh, my first and last name, Corey Berenger, on TikTok. And then I co-host a monthly improvised stand-up show. It's at Comedy Theater called Warm Takes. We do that every second Sunday at 8 o'clock. And you can watch that at stabtv.com if you're not in the Sacramento area. But if you are you should come to a show because it's a whole lot of fun that's kind of the main thing i do if you want to follow me on tiktok and instagram on instagram and twitter at punky cory i post what shows i'm doing on there so if you want to come see me live you can follow me on there and i'm sure you'll find something to do yeah that's, that's about it <laughs> perfect well thank you so much again for bringing this movie to the table and for the wonderful discussion thank you for having me this was a delight absolutely